What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Parisi Podcast. Very cool episode today. I'm joined by our lead master trainer, Steve Leo. You've heard his voice on earlier Parisi Podcast episodes, but Steve and I go through a great listener question. We had someone um, write a comment on one of our blogs on ParisiSchool.com. It was a great three-part question that I knew instantly that Steve was, would be able to just crush and so here we are, Steve, myself, on the first of, I'm hoping, many podcasts, um, and I'm hoping that because if you check the show notes, you'll see the email address you can write into and ask your own questions as it relates to speed training, youth athletic performance, uh, really anything. I can find a guest that'll come on and join us, whether it's Steve, myself, someone in the Parisi Network, but be on the lookout for Steve and I to do more of these listener Q&As, and we're hoping that you, the listener, can write in some questions that you have. So on the other side of the jingle here is Steve Leo. Welcome back to an, another episode of the Parisi Podcast. We're getting super consistent in 2022 with these. I think we're doing two a month right now. And hopefully by the end of the year, these are going to hopefully bump up to weekly, um, especially if we can do these. This is a super awesome episode. Very special guest. A voice you've heard on the podcast before. I think, Steve, you did the first like eight. And then I was like, barged my white bull in a China shop. And I was like, I want to play in the podcast game. I was replaced. I was replaced. You weren't, no, you were replaced. This is, this is how it should be. Good. It should be yeah. you and I doing these a lot. That's why I say, hopefully. Co hosting. All right. I like it. I think you Leo and I, Leo? yeah, that would be yeah, the Leo, Leo, Leo podcast rebrand. Check out the new cover okay. art. Uh, I think you up. and I would make a phenomenal podcast. We'd have a great time. I think it'd be good. Yeah. It'd yeah. be really good. Um, and especially if we get more of what we've got today. So brought in Steve, the, the brain, the real brain of Parisi. Um, and we had a great reader question on one of our ParisiSchool.com blogs. And it's a three-part question. A lot of different things we're going to unpack. But nonetheless, we've got a reader question here. I've brought Steve in. Um, I'm not going to contribute a whole lot because Steve is the brain here, but I'm going to, I'm going to let Steve do a little intro because you've heard his voice on the pod before, but Steve, I don't think you've ever done an introduction on who you are. So why don't we start with that? Uh, maybe. All right. Well, um, I've been around for a long time. So I've started with Bill in 1997. So this is year 25 that I've been around with Parisi. Uh, I started out as an intern. Basically I was helping Bill out doing some camps. And then later on, went to get hired to work at a small PT studio, Wyckoff, which was, I think, 2,000 or 2,200 square feet. where We had a little three-lane track. Uh, that's where he was training Phil Sims and all those guys. And did that for a few years. And we opened up Midland Park, which is another was a health club in a bigger location. And we went out to Fairlawn. That's the big one that everyone knows about. I helped run that place for a while. We opened up Morristown, helped run that for a while. Uh, and then around 2000, trying to get my years right here, 2010, I think it was. I decided to open up my own location, Sparta, New Jersey, Western Jersey. Uh, did that for up until about COVID, unfortunately, whatever that was last year or two. But along the way, about five years ago, I also got hired as a strength coach at uh, the school here. You can see on my chest, Bill St. Bernard's. It's a pretty prominent academic school up in uh, you know, just northern or West Jersey. Uh, and then last year, I started really teaching some classes. I was teaching a little bit. And then uh, now I'm actually teaching some exercise science, and I'll be teaching anatomy class as well. Next year, um, and I still do stuff for Parisi's. I'm one of the guys, one of the uh, master coaches, so we do a lot of the training, um, help out with some education, some train heroic stuff. I also work for Vertimax, do stuff for them. I coach track. I'm the head track coach at my daughter's school where I'm at and, and here. So I do a bunch of stuff. Oh, and I just got certified. I'm a track official now. So, <laughs> so I can wear the yellow coat. 
Well, I did it more from my own knowledge. Do you have like the fake bang gun? Like the start the race fake bang gun? Uh, no, that's like a separate thing. I'm not, I'm not ready for that yet. I can only do like the field stuff, which is that, fine. Yeah, so we'll I did it just for education. I wanted to learn the rule book. So it was good. It took six weeks. and So, yeah, if I don't know something, I'm just going to try to figure it out. I love it. I'm not that it. smart. Steve is, uh, I think, Steve, I met you in like 2014. I think that was, they were, Steve was coming oh, up to yeah. the location that I was at. And I was like told specifically to like find Steve Leo, introduce yourself and see how hard it's going to be when he comes up and just kicks our butt in the Paris certification. And that's, that's literally what made me like walk up to Steve and be like, hi, Steve, I'm Casey. I'm coming up. You're coming up to the Vermont. Are you, can I get you a beer sometime? And uh, very, well, that always works. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, it's either coffee yeah. or beer. Like if you can do one of those, I think any, yeah. any fitness professional, strength conditioning coach, performance coach, like you either hit them with a coffee or you either hit them with a beer, you're good to go. Um, it's just a matter of yeah. which one in time, I guess time of day, but probably both for this profession fit the bill whenever. Um, yeah, this, is a, this is a six in the morning to 11 o'clock lifestyle. So and coffee and beer coffee fits morning, at all times of day. <laughs> yeah, beer later on and maybe, uh, maybe a little coffee at night. I have coffee at night when I get home, which is pretty funny. I'll, I, I'll drink it at seven o'clock at night. So I can at least get work done. And then I crash and go to bed later. So I've only, I only drink coffee after dinner when I'm in New Jersey. It's definitely like an Italian New Jersey thing to have coffee after dinner. Well, you talk to the right guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm here for it. Um, yep. Okay, so let's dive into this, this question here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole question. And then Steve and I are going to break it down chunk by chunk. Um, and Steve, if you think there's a more logical order to this, we can totally do it that way. But um, right. we have right. a reader question. It says, hi, can you further explain how stiffness in your legs and core leads to more speed? You also mentioned keeping the toes up. I've seen other videos mention keeping the heels up in a pogo, which is what this reader is specifically referencing. Mm -hmm. How do you differentiate between a low pogo versus a regular pogo? Thanks. All right, so maybe I will reverse order that. Um, so if you take the pogo jump, which is something that we do a ton of, the point of contact of a pogo jump is very similar to you sprinting, right? So when your foot's making contact with the ground, we teach balls of the feet or a forefoot, some of you might know it that way, to land that way. And the heels may or may not make contact when you're sprinting. That's a little controversial. A lot of people have always thought on your toes, things like that. But when you're sprinting at full speed, almost your entire foot's hitting the ground. The difference is what's hitting first. So typically the forefoot or the balls, your foot's going to hit first. If you watch a track sprinter, they have track spikes. Those things are very flexible. Almost the whole foot is hitting the ground. So the whole idea that their heels never touch is not really true. And if you think of field sports, whether it be football, soccer, lacrosse, or maybe even basketball, their feet are going to be flat on the ground. That doesn't mean kids have flat feet because you hear that all the time. My kid has flat feet. Well, that may not be what's actually happening. Maybe they're landing too flat. It's how they're landing first. Then, so when you're doing a pogo jump, at point of contact, the foot's going to be in a, in a dorsiflex position when you first make contact. But when you leave the ground, right, you go through some extension phase there, hopefully the knee and the hip are going to stay extended. But you're going to go through plantar flexion, right? So you're going to have triple extension, although it's plantar flexion. I never understood that. But uh, you're going to go up to that point. But what we're trying to do is get the foot to dorsiflex up in the air prior to contact. And the way that refers to sprinting is when you're sprinting prior to hitting the ground, if your foot is still in a plantar flex position, a couple of things can happen, right? One of them could be you might reach out too far in front and land. So that might be an overstride. That, that's a very common thing you see in a lot of kids. 
But two, if you're going to land in a, in a plantar flex position, that foot, I'm going to try to kind of use this as the ground, is going to hit, collapse, and then have to come up off the ground. That costs you time, right? That's just going to cost you time. So what we're trying to do is preload that foot prior to it hitting the ground, like a pre-stretch. So the example we always use is like a rubber band. If I pre-stretch a rubber band out, I let it go, it's going to snap back. If I don't pre-stretch it, it's not going to snap back. But we're pre-stretching that prior to contact. So I think the question when it comes to the heels off the ground, the toes off the ground, the heels are going to be off the ground on the pogo jumps a little bit more because it's more rapid fire. We're not, as ply, we're not applying as much force. But when you're sprinting, the force is definitely going to go up. So more of the whole foot is going to need it. I, I, I take it as more of like a surface area. That's what's really going to be you know, making contact with the ground. But when we're doing the pogos, the next thing, if you kind of look at it, how it works its way up the chain, we'll say the lower leg or the lower shank, if you read some older literature, that's how they refer to, we have to create stiffness in that lower leg. And that's, this is a really common term now that we're using a lot of, but what that refers to is I tell the kids, hey, if I wanted to punch somebody, right, and I want to apply as much force as I can to their chest, if any of this part of my arm, my wrist, my forearm is not stiff, tight, strong, whatever term you want to use, and I collapse or I release it, can I apply as much force into that guy's chest? No. When you're sprinting, the same thing occurs. If I don't get that foot in that dorsiflex position, it's like me not having my wrist locked. That's how I equate it to. So if I hit my wrist like this, definitely not going to apply a lot of force into the guy's chest. Well, if that foot's not in a good position prior to contact, you're going to yield or give away some of your power and force when you're making contact with the ground because there's going to be some uh, movement in the ankle. And it's funny because a lot of people will say, well, we, that guy has really tight ankles. But on the other hand, they'll say, well, maybe the ankles are too loose. It kind of goes back and forth, mm-hmm. which I think is funny. Uh, but it's, it's being stiff at the right time. So we want to be stiff at point of contact. But then after it makes contact, then that foot has to be able to, to come up. Now, some kids will see their foot will roll a little bit when they're sprinting. Some kids have their toes out a little bit more than others. That's actually more normal than you think. Because if you look at the foot in midair, you'll see a little bit of a drop inside of the foot prior to contact, and then it fixes, and then it makes contact with the ground. So if you watch a lot of these sprinters, um, if you can find some videos of them from behind, it almost looks like they're a little bit going out and then falling in. But then when you look from the side, it looks straight. So I've seen some people overcoach getting them to be too straight. So if they stand behind them, say on a treadmill, they'll see the feet. They're like, well, they're not exactly straight. Well, it's rare that they're going to be really straight. Remember, you have hips, you have a Q angle. There's a lot going on there. It's never going to be totally straight. But that point of contact is so important to have the toes up and create that stiffness. And when you're doing the pogo jumps, it's rapid fire. It is a low-level, low-amplitude plyometric. What happens in a plyometric? There's a stretch reflex that occurs, right? I think we all know that. So we're training that short stretch reflex, and we're ha- it's happening at a very, very high rate. Because if you think about it, if you do a medium-level pogo, maybe not the short-low ones, but a medium-level one, which I think was kind of a question before, low versus high, you know, a short, quick one will be fast, maybe come off the ground a few inches, medium, you're applying more force, going a little higher. On a high pogo, you're probably going to bend your knees a little bit more and get more height. That medium one is probably much closer to what a sprint uh, frequency or stride frequency would be. Think about how fast those legs are going. So we're training the feet, in essence, to be prepared for contact. And then why I tell kids all the time, they got to do their job. If they don't do their job and you yield and give out, well, that 400-pound squat you have in the weight room, you lost it. That's like me. I can bench just 300, but then I collapse when I go punch somebody. Well, that 300-pound bench press doesn't necessarily mean a lot because I can't deliver the, the blow. So I tell kids all the time, like I'm, I'm training my track kids now, which had three practices, and I'd say 80 to 90% of the team are not true track runners. They're athletes. 
they don't really understand what sprinting is. So what we try to tell them is you're punching the ground right now. The difference is the direction of the force. So in a start, it could be a little different. I know I'm going off topic here, but the start could oh, be Go more, off, King. Do your thing. <laughs> a start could be more horizontally based, and then it transitions to vertically based, right, depending on where you are in your sprint. But that's why it's so important to train from the ground up when it comes to, when it comes to doing that, okay? Um, and then as far as the core stiffness, that, again, just keeps working its way up the chain. If you lose any energy, any leakage, and I know Bill talks about this a ton in his fascia book, if you lose any energy in here, well, the limbs can't do their job. I think the example he gives is if you try to shoot a cannon out of a rowboat, that rowboat's going to fly all over the place. Well, it's the same thing here. If this area can't create stiffness, not strength, because I think strength is where people get a little confused. Well, if I do a bazillion planks or I do a bazillion uh, crunches, I'm going to have a stiff core. It's learning how to turn it on and turn it off at the right times. Because when you run, you don't run in a plank position, right? I'm not squeezing the whole time. It's constantly firing, turning off, turning off. And the other thing that's happening is there's an anti-rotation that's occurring. So you'll see some kids, right? They swing a ton. That's, that's not their arms. They don't know how to lock this down at the right time. So your core is trying to stop you from rotating. So all those anti-rotation drills you do, like, you know, maybe med balls or cables or pile-up presses or things of, uh, like that, they help you when you get out onto the onto the field or track or whatever to maintain that linear that linear pattern and limit that excess rotation on top. Because then, if there is a lot of rotation on top, what's probably going to happen down low with the feet? That's where the steps and the strides start getting all a little wacky. Uh, so learning how to stiffen the core is important. So almost, you know, if you think about it, we try to take from the weight room and bring it out to the track and field. I think it gets a little confusing because it's someone that wants a core brace, right? To squat or deadlift. That's not what you're doing when you're sprinting. You can't core brace, right? You can't stay locked the whole time. It's got to turn on, turn off because we have multiple limbs moving at the same time. You know, if your psoas is firing, it's really hard to keep your core locked down. If your psoas has to lift your legs up the whole time. So there's a lot that's going on there and your body works contralateral. And that's a whole nother conversation, how that all works. But to kind of summarize it, the pogo jumps are going to create stiffness all the way up through, which allows you to deliver the force that you want. And if you're lifting and getting strong in the weight room, if you can't create it prior to contact, that everything you've done in the weight room is, I'm not saying it's not going to matter, but it's not going to matter that much, right? It's, it's not going to pay dividends. So I say to kids all the time, if you're going to put an investment in the weight room, you want that to pay off out on the track or the turf or, or wherever. But, so by doing these drills, that's that word transfer that we use. We want them to learn how to transfer from the weight room to the track of turf. So things like these rudimentary jump series that we've uh, you know, implemented lately, they will really help with it. And I think you have to be creative with it too. It doesn't have to be just a low pogo or, or, or high pogo, vary it. They can do old school line jumps forward and backwards. They could pogo jump forward, pogo jump backwards, sideways, single leg, uh, you know, th things like that. And then eventually add loads, medicine balls, kettlebells, vipers, aqua bags, all, all of that stuff. So uh, I think I rambled for about 10 minutes. No, I was going to say that was one hell of an answer. Um, but what I like, and, and this is what I think is really important. So if, you, if you're listening to this, go back like you know, 10 minutes and just replay what Steve said, because he answers that whole question, but goes way deeper into like specifically like the exercises that will help train what the question really was asking, right? So, you know, like low pogo to a quote unquote, a regular pogo, like start low focus on stiffness, focus on where the foot is contact or how the foot is contacting the ground and where the foot is contacting the ground. And then by doing that exercise, and, and we'll get to this, Steve, because this is something you've said 
we've been saying for close to a decade, I know that's how long I've known you, that the, the application, the actual exercise isn't the point. The point isn't to do the drill, right? Or like the, the movement, the drill. Like the point is that the drill is, should be eliciting the response for the athlete of what you're trying to get them to express. And in this case, that pogo is trying to teach the athlete stiffness in the ankle, stiffness in the core, like that ability to contract, relax, contract, relax. And the nice thing about um, something like a pogo is you're going to see really quick if a kid can't stay locked in. Like they'll, they'll literally collapse. Like you'll see the bend at the hips. They'll see them bending at the knees. Like they're not actually pushing through the foot. They're pushing through like maybe triple flexion, triple extension. Like it looks like a mini squat jump instead of a pogo. Like you'll see these things from a kid. So I think, you know, like even like a low pogo for time could be like a really good readiness assessment or movement assessment, especially as a prelude to sprinting, which I'm sure you, you, do with yeah. your kids like yeah. if you can't pogo you probably can't sprint you know and well or translate let's to even skip. simplify and go old school even more think about jumping rope mm-hmm. what's jumping rope it's doing pogo jumps yeah <laughs> and most kids cannot jump rope anymore um so if you have a kid who's, who's a difficult time just doing regular pogos or jumping rope you know that's something you're gonna have to address out on the field of the track you know what i mean i could do the greatest sprint drills in the world and hook up all kinds of sleds and parachutes and whatever you have but if I can't get that foot to stiffen out and lock the way I want and then respond the way I want it to, you're going to struggle. You'll, you'll get them a little quicker. I mean, anybody can get faster by just running a little. I mean, just sprint 20 yards every day, a few days a week, you'll get a little faster. But how do we take that next, you know, that next step? Um, you know, get that pop, you know, as kids thought, the pop or the explosiveness. Well, it starts there because if there's any leakage or yielding or whatever term works for you, it, it, it's going to, it's going to, you know, play some, toughness on, on your body right it's going to place a lot of hardship of you trying to get better and the kids will get frustrated you know speed is funky you know you can get fast real quick and then you can plateau and takes forever it takes to get faster yeah where strength is progressive you can literally just keep getting stronger a pound a week or five pounds a week whatever speed it could take you months to go down 10 of the second well such an, the neurological components behind it like if you're not yeah. if it's not ready right like if you're just shot you'll never get faster like that's just the way it works and that's, a, you know. and that's a huge factor too so another i mean i could talk about pogo for two hours right i'm so, fine let's uh, do it i got time another another <laughs> another thing with the pogos and rudimentary jump series is when we talk about work capacity you and i've talked about this if they lack any type of work capacity even in that type of drill like again just being able to jump rope say for a minute which is really just doing pogos for a minute if they can't do that they're not going to be able to handle the speed work you're going to try to give them they're going to get a few sprints in and then the neural fatigue, like you said, is going to set in or uh, uh, muscular fatigue is going to set in. So you're not going to get the max benefit. It's like you lifting and you're only lifting 50% what you would normally lift. You know, sprinting is for the most part going to be a maximal effort drill, exercise, whatever you're calling it that day. Typically, that's what it's going to be. If it's sub-max, then it's not speed training at that point. You know, running fast is running fast. If it's not, then it. it's running slow. I love it. I love it. I love it. Right? <laughs> I hope I hope someone on the other side of the headphones just cringed listening to that because I I I love it. Like I just think that it's and I, you know I run the the Parisi mentorship and and that topic comes up right and like you know yep. next week we or I guess this week um, as we record this we're talking about assessment um, you know and and it's it is interesting because one of the components we talk about is like, if you're going to assess a kid's running mechanics, you should see them run fast or what they consider fast. And that's part of the assessment. Like you're saying, like you have kids that they just don't understand 
how to sprint hard. That's part of the assessment. If you're starting with an athlete and you say, okay, I want to see what you look like running fast. And then you have them jog down a track or jog down your, like, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't count. Like that's not what they're going to look like. You need to see them run fast or put effort forth what they think is fast and work from there. And it's just, it's funny how some coaches will get all up in a tizzy being like, well, that's no, it's tempos. That's tempos. That's speed training. And it's tempos. I'm like, ah. Well, here's an example I'll give you. If you take your kids to a batting cage and you want to assess the swing, is he going to swing slow? No. A golf swing. Is that going to be a slow? Is Toji Joe going to have him do a slow golf swing? No, it's, it's max effort, right? Yeah. I think what happens is we fear, okay, they might get hurt. Listen, if they're struggling just doing a normal 20 or 30 yard sprint, you have bigger problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. Speed is not their issue. There's other issues we have to address. It might be work capacity. It might be mobility. It might be, they just don't run. Okay. Well then, then you can build them up into it. But I mean, I've been doing this 25 years. I can count on my hand how many kids have had hamstring injuries in 25 years. It's very rare that it happens if they use our warm up, if they prepare the right way. And the other thing, another thing Pogo jumps through is when you're doing them, if you do them the right way, you'll feel it ready up through your Achilles, your calf, your gastroc, all the way up through your hamstring and your glutes. And I forget, I don't remember, so don't quote me on this, but I don't remember what paper it came out with. I think Bill and I talked about it years ago. I think it was either the bad name now, Russia or one of the other countries. This is what they would do prior to sprinting or lifting. And they, they did a lot of research showing that it really, in essence, woke up the hamstrings and glutes by doing that constant rapid fire. And now we think about vibration technology, how big that is. Think about what you're doing. You're almost vibrating the leg constantly and waking it up as opposed to getting on a, no offense, $10,000 power plate. Well, you pull over jumps. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, because you touched on it briefly when you were explaining rotation, and I, I think it would be a fun topic to, to close out here is this idea of like when we are watching an athlete run, right? Like is you, you had a really good way of explaining like sometimes the foot deviates from like linear to duck foot or invert everts is like the foot may like come underneath in like a calf to hamstring, like a, a good fold. What, and, and I, for me personally, when I first started, I would be like, oh my gosh, that foot is actually, we don't want to work on a linear foot strike and this, that. And, and I know for, I think it was Nick Winkleman said this at one point, I was listening to one of his presentations um, and he said like, there's non-negotiables, I think was the phrase that he said, like certain things have to happen to be fast, right? Like whether it's certain angles that need to be close or achieved, um, how the foot strikes, how the foot recovers and, and typically angles associated with that. But the stuff in the middle of those, like the athlete is going to have their own, their own motion, right? Like if you're a hockey player, you may have like yeah. a strike outside of your midline, because when you're on the ice, that's what you have to do. So, I mean, we're talking like there's track speed, like linear, straight line, straight, pure speed, like that's the sport. But for field sport athletes, especially, and I'm sure you see this at the multi-sport high school level, these athletes are going to have little nuances that are either dependent on their sport or even their own body mechanics or body makeup, um, bony structures. But for you, when you assess an athlete that, that runs, maybe this is a good way to phrase it. What do you think is one of the more overrated things that coaches will react to and be like, oh my gosh, we need to correct this. And you kind of touched on it with like the foot a little bit on how it might yep. invert, evert, you know, cause that's something for me personally. Like I was like, yep, that's me. That was me, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago being like, we're going to yeah. work on your calf mobility and we're going to, I'm going to get your foot to rotate in. And it's like, maybe this was just the way that one, the hip is aligned. And two, like, that's just maybe the way the kid is when they stride what's overrated. 
And like, where, what are you seeing now that like, it's probably not as big a deal as it probably once was or is made out to be? Well, I think the thing, just go back a couple steps. One is if, if they have anatomical structures that are, that are a certain way, you're not changing those, right? If their bones are their bones, that's what you have to deal with. And remember too, who you're dealing with, right? So if you're dealing with a junior high school, high school kid, is, you know me, I say it all the time, is that the heart attack that you have to treat, right? Am I going to go crazy with mobility on a calf? Uh, or, or there are 10 other things I need to work on first, right? I picked what are the biggest things. Uh, and then you touched on it before, uh, it's style versus technique, right? We want to teach a technical model. So that's what we teach, a technical model. But there are going to be some stylistic differences. I don't care, even watch the Olympics, watch the, the 100 meters. There's some stylistic differences on a few of those guys. Some of them actually do cross their midline a little bit. Some guys are a little bit taller out of the block. So I think things like that, um, we, we freak out on. But the one, and this will be controversial probably for Parisians, is I think we overdo the arms at times. I think we freak out a little too much with the arms. The reason being is the arm action is important, but it's not the end-all be-all, all right? And I've actually read, I've got to find it. There was just an uh, article or study or something came out that they had some uh, high-level sprinters sprint with their arms and they timed them 30, I think it was 30-meter flies or 30-meter, something like that. And then they had them do the same thing with their arms crossed and it was about a tenth of a difference in their speed, wow. which is not wow. a lot. No, not at all. Not a not lot. at least for how much they get hyped. Now, arms are important, but I think what happens is it's so easy to visualize and see perfect arm action that we don't look at what's happening at the foot, the ankle, and the knee. I'm sorry, and, and the hip, and we don't really know what's going on there. And that's the whole point. So that is the next exercise I do with some of my track kids. Like, actually, we're going to do it today. They're going to run without their arms today to learn how to hammer from the lower body down, how to lock the core down and get the lower body to act as hammers and punch. Because sometimes the arms actually throw them off a little if they're really bad. Absolutely. So if, you, if you disassociate upper and lower body, they can learn how to use the lower body. And then we bring the upper body back in, in this case, right, the arm action. Uh, and we overdo at times, we overdo the arm action at the elbows at 90 degrees on the backside. And Bill's spoken about this in the past as well, getting it to go maybe around 100, 120, somewhere in that range on the backside. And then on the front side, it'll close off to around 90. But some kids close it off too much. They might even come to here. So I coach arm action, but I do a lot of stylistic differences depending on their body type too. If you get a really, really tall kid, those arms might be a little more side to side or females tend to go a little bit more because they have that Q angle. They, they tend to have a little more uh, movement in their hips. So I, I wouldn't say we overdo the arm action. I just think we freak out too much about it. I think we just need to kind of look at it from the perspective, okay, what do we need to fix today? I got to get those legs stronger. I got to get those uh, ankles to be stiffer at point of contact. And I'm going to layer in the arm action uh, at times. Now, if the kid's arms are, you know, like a noodle all over the place, yeah, you got to kind of tone those down because they could throw you off. Yeah, But, you know, the velocity of your arms may not affect the velocity of your legs. It may not. And the more and more research is supporting that. Uh, it, to me, it's almost like a counterbalancing system because we're, you know, we run contralateral and it's more control uh, for the athlete. It definitely can help ignite you, especially out of the blocks. It can help you there. Uh, and it can help you ignite coming out of a cut or a break. But is it going to be the end-all, be-all in a sprint? I think that's interesting. You know, I wish I could talk to Tom Telez and ask him because he's one of those guys that knows that stuff really, really well. Um, but that's my two cents. Tom Telez, future podcast guest, will do this. You got to get him. That's, he's Carl Lewis's coach. Okay. 
Well, yeah, that's, so there it is. So goals. There it is. The Universe, League University podcast. of Houston. I don't know if you know them. So they're one of the best track teams in the country. So he was the guy who really pioneered and coached them. So Tom Telez. Yes. This is great. Can I just like be the He's fly actually, on the he wall? He just wrote a book. He just wrote a book with with Carl Lewis. I honestly forget the name. It was Sports Speed or, or something. Um, I've read his old books before, but um, he's one of the godfathers in my mind when it comes to just pure technical model when it comes to sprinting and track and field, like the race model. He's he's one of the best out there. So I'm going to set it up, putting it out there for the world. Here. I'm going to set it up okay. between you and Tom, Coach Telez, Tom Telez. I'm going to be the producer. I'll mute myself and I'll just make sure the <laughs> okay. video and the audio and everything comes out good. And oh, this is, see, this, this is what the Parisi puck, this is why you and I should have done this 15 <laughs> episodes ago, Steve. This is what it should Anytime, be. man. Yeah. The Leo I and Lee. Lead. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't need to be the lead. I'm fine. You're, you're way cooler and swaggier than me. No, I just do I'm the just intro and the aftermath. That's it. I just know yeah. future, you know, past DJ, DJ Two Scoops just knows how to edit, <laughs> insert audio, take out weird background noises and stuff like that. I'm just the guy who knows how to click the record button. But you know how to talk about speed stuff because you're the brain. I do better when you ask me questions. So that that's me. great. I'm perfect. Yeah. I'll come with all questions. sorts. That's what we're going to do this. That's, uh, this is it. Yeah. Leo and Lee pod. We're going to take this show on the road. We'll do live podcasts. It'll be so great. Ooh, future idea. Oh, this is so good. I hate that it took 15 episodes for us to do this, but we're going to, I'm going to get listener Q&A. Oh, so people listen to this because we, we're now on Apple. We're on Apple Podcasts now. Ooh, we're we're on now. Spotify, um, right. SoundCloud, and all the other random places that those all push out to. Spotify? But, no, we're on yeah. Spotify. We're on Spotify. Yep. Spotify. Oh, yeah. We're on Spotify. We're on right. Apple. Right. I, I don't uh, even have Spotify, so I don't even know. Oh, I'm Spotify all the way. I didn't have Apple, so that's why it took a minute for okay. us. To You're anti-Apple. I'm not anti-Apple. I'm just all in Spotify. I used to be on Apple Podcasts all the time. Then I just got Spotify and I figured if I'm going to pay for Spotify, I might as well use Spotify. I don't pay. I don't don't believe in paying. That's why. (laughs) So nice. But gas prices the way they are. I got to be cheap. Well, yeah, right. I'll say I have a three-year-old that in the car, it's a lot easier to get her in and out of the car if we have her music going. So shout out to uh, shout out to Sauce and the Disney playlist that I have. Any parents listening to this, they got three-year-olds and you want to know a fire Encanto and Frozen playlist, hit me up. I got you. Um, but on a serious note, if anyone listening to this has questions on speed, email in. I'll put the email in the show notes. Check it out. And, you know, Steve and I will get a collection of these. And then I'm just going to I'm just going to off the cuff. Like, we'll just get Steve on. I'm just going to ask him questions. It's going to be so great. Sounds good. Looking forward to the summit in a couple weeks. Hell yeah. We should do a live pod there. We shouldn't do a live pod. We're good. And I feel like we'd never all the presenters. We wouldn't do it. Yeah. See all the presenters. Okay. On real quick. Maybe that Thursday. Like, like a post one or, or a pre one, whatever. Yeah. I like that. Like, I don't uh, know how the mic. Conference. It's, like a, it's like a pre thing. I forget what they call it. Yeah. The pre con. Pre con or something. Yeah. I don't know how many, how to record that, but we'll fig- I'll figure it out. I don't know. Maybe the yeah, video, maybe video guy Kelly can figure it out for us, but um we'll ask the video crew see if they can they can yeah. do it. maybe they could film it that'd be sweet a film round table hmm. Cool. Hmm. okay all right steve leo well, you're the brains man our first q a in the books until next time sounds good